Amen. I, I feel the life and celebration of Jesus in this room today, and I can only attribute it that we're celebrating mothers this weekend. And God loves women and mothers. So happy Mother's Day to each one of you. And thank you, kiddos, if your mamas drug you here because it's Mother's Day. Thank you for coming with them. Husbands, maybe some of you didn't want to get up. And thank you so much for honoring. Truly, a mother's heart is that she would be with her family on this special day. And we just celebrate each one of you today. Our Heart Creative team has done such an amazing job bringing in the presence of Jesus this weekend. Can we thank them? Do you know it's just not random that they, they really think about the songs. What they're trying to do is just till the soil of our hearts so that we can really receive from Jesus. Nothing is for nothing, right? Just like every part of the service ministers to us. Uh, and I know some of this, you know, you're not like me. You don't come to church every service, right? I come Saturdays and two services on Sunday. But I wanted to let you know there was an incredible message last night by Micaiah Owens. So... I think you should listen online, honestly. There's something about when God speaks through a woman. You know, God has both male and female characteristics inside him. We were all made in the image of God. And there's just something about a woman's perspective, a biblical perspective that is so beautiful. Her title was Burns Like a Mother. And it was so good. She was so funny. And she really exhorted us in the area of allowing God to burn out the selfishness in us so that we can fully give our to our, our children and our families. And then we heard from Amber Van Ling, First Gathering. She's so creative. Look at this administrator, so creative. And she brought this amazing perspective of getting rid of distractions so that we can speak destiny and identity into our children. I mean, as mothers, God has given us so much power to speak life and destiny into our children. And so I'm going to be speaking um, this gathering, if you haven't already figured that out. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Radine. I'm Jonathan's wife, who you might not know. When I say Jonathan, you're like, who is that? Who are you married to? J-O, his given birth name that his mama gave him is Jonathan. I have two children, Seth. See here? Is he in the back? Seth, he's 30, and Jamie is 27, and God gave me two of the most beautiful other children, my son Topher, who's married to Jamie, and Micaiah, who's married to Seth. And guys, the best part of being a mother is being a grandmother. <laughs> I have Jonesy, who's two and a half, and I have Jameson, who's eight months, and they are the joy of our lives. And even saying those names this morning is so precious to me. Names are so precious. They're, they're so important, not just our given names, but as we know, there's other names that we're referred to by, and, and that brings both praise and shame at different times, right? And so some of those are just amazing things that build us up, and some of those things are struggles that we fight through. And so I want to speak to you this morning on names. And most people would say that it's our parents that first name us, right? I mean, most people would say that. But I disagree, because it says in Isaiah 49, it says that in the body of my mother, he named me. God named you first, which makes it all the more significant when we're praying for the preborn, because there's, they, they've already been named. 
And so I just was, man, as I was praying as a mother, you know, we're not just called to pray for our own children, but for other people's children, right? And for the preborn. Um, and so it's just so important, that idea that God named us first. Actually, the verse above that says that God called us. And so there's this beautiful connection between our names and our calling. It's very significant. And it doesn't surprise me that it's God that first names us because he's known by several names. But one of the names that he's known by is I am. And it means all sufficient one. Another one of his names is Adonai. It means Lord and master. In ancient Judaism, he was just referred to as the name because his name is so holy and was so revered they didn't want to speak it. The name above all name, right? Jesus. And so I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about names. And I was thinking about just like, Jonathan, how do we come up with our kids' names? Isn't that a miracle? Like, as parents, how do we name our kids, you know? I think some parents just go, hey, I'm going for the hipster name. I'm going for like Flint or Sequoia. And other parents are very serious. They're like, no, we have to have family names like Charles and Elizabeth, right? Um, the most popular names this last year were Olivia and Liam. Anyone, anyone name their kids the most popular names? Look at good on you. Just Google, just Google. If you can't come up with a name, just Google. Back in the old days, when I was born, 1967, the most popular names were Michael and Lisa. And if I think back to my graduating class of 1985, there was like four or five of each of them in my class. No kidding. Like there's a thing to these popular names, right? But in thinking about those types of names, I was, uh, uh, I was thinking about even the, the meaning of my name uh, a few years ago. Um, a woman actually did a study on it and, um, and gave it to me. And Ray means um, wise advisor, protector. And Dean means from the valley, which is so cool because I was born in the Lewis Clark Valley right here in Idaho. I was named after an Uncle Ray which I later found out was just a good friend of my dad's who has the kind of weird uncle, I have to call him uncle aunt. You're like, I'm not related to you. I'm not calling you uncle and aunt. <laughs> Thankfully, the second part of my name was a family member. I was named after my paternal grandmother, Grace Dean. But when I was thinking about names and the significance of it and the different things that we are called and named, I was struck by the story in Genesis 25 of Jacob. And we first meet Jacob, Rebecca finds out that she's pregnant. And so she inquires of the Lord. This is what she, and this is what God reveals to her about her pregnancy in Genesis 25. It says, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples are from within you, and they shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And this idea of twins has recently become very significant to me because we've just found out recently, I was given permission to share this, that our daughter Jamie is pregnant with twins. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for celebrating. If you know, then you know. There's been some heartache in that, but it does not run on either side of the family. This is all pure Jesus. Um, and 2022, the year of double portions. So I just prophesy that over all of you. Whoever wants twins or whatever double blessing you want. Now we're just kind of like, oh my gosh, here we go, twins. 
It's a lot. And I'm sure Rebecca was feeling the same way. Oh my goodness, I don't have one. I have two inside of me. And so the babies are born and the first baby comes out and Rebecca and Isaac name him Esau. Esau means red and hairy. Like, good job, mom and dad. Way to be creative, right? And here comes the second born, and they name him Jacob. And Jacob means supplanter, one who takes things by treachery, basically means liar and deceiver. Okay, wow. So one was named after these natural attributes, and one, it seems like, was named after some kind of personality character stuff, flaws, Uh, something. And when you read in Genesis, you find out that this thing, this name that Jacob was named after, it actually ran in the family. Jacob's grandpa, Abraham, lied about his wife, Sarah. He was going into a town. He got really afraid because Sarah's really pretty. And he thought, they might kill me if they find out this is my wife. So I'm just going to say she's my sister. Not a good idea, right? And then Jacob's dad, Isaac, did the same thing in a very similar fear-induced situation, going into a town, kind of afraid because Rebecca was pretty too, and said that it was his sister instead of his wife. And we know also in Genesis that it was Jacob's mom, Rebecca, that was the whole mastermind behind the idea of Jacob stealing Esau's birthright, his firstborn birthright. So this name that Jacob was given had a stigma on it and almost, I would say, a generational curse that followed Jacob. And sure enough, when Jacob comes out of the womb, he's true to the nature. And the Bible describes him as having grasped a hold of Esau's ankle like he was trying to pull Esau back and be born first. And so Jacob's carrying this thing around with him, right? And kind of getting the repercussions of what this is. And, 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 it, and it happens. His, his mother does this deceptive plan. And Jacob receives this firstborn blessing. And one of the last things that his father Isaac said to him is, it's time for you to go to the land of your mother in Haran and get a wife. But I would also think as a father, he's like, you need to leave. Because when Esau finds out what you did, it's going to be big trouble from the big brother, right? So Jacob's making his way to Haran, and he's after this wife. And guess what? He meets his match, literally, in his uncle Laban, Rebecca's brother. He thought he knew what deception was until he met his uncle Laban. He just happens to fall in love with Rachel, who was uncle Laban's daughter. And so uncle Laban says, hey, I want you to work for me for seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. And she must have been super pretty because Jacob's like, okay, I will. It's a wedding night. They're in the tent. Lights out, literally, because there was no electricity back then when the sun went down. No lights. Wakes up in the morning with his beautiful bride. And it's not Rachel. (laughs) It's Rachel's older sister, Leah who the Bible describes as not quite as pretty as Rachel. (laughs) Jacob is getting a taste of his own medicine, right? He's getting to see what this deception looks like firsthand and how it feels. And so does Uncle Laban say, oh, I'm sorry I did that and here's Rachel? No. He's like, you can work another seven years for Rachel, who I told you I'd give you in the first place. And Jacob does it, and all told, of the time that he was in the land of Haran, he was under his uncle Laban's deception for 20 years. 
that'll work out a generational curse out of most of us, right? Like, oh, this is so ugly. I don't want this anymore. And so Jacob does make this plan, like, I need to go back to my father's land. I need to go make amends with my brother Esau. And God actually gives him really great favor with Esau. But while he's on his way, it says in Genesis 28, that God gives Jacob a dream. And in this dream, God begins to reveal all that he has planned for Jacob. None of it has to come by deception. None of it has to come by treachery. He doesn't have to grab a hold of anybody's ankle and pull him back so he can get ahead. God wants to bless him. That's God's heart towards Jacob. He wants to bless him with children. He wants to bless him with land and with livestock. And I think God was just probably doing a work in Jacob's heart of having served under deception for 20 years and then to be crushed with the kindness of God that God has good things for us. I just feel like he's speaking to some of you in this moment that maybe have felt like, hey, I'm just going to slide in or I'm going to have to do it a certain way to get my own way. And God is saying to you today, I have good things for you. I want to bless you. I want all these things that I gave Jacob. And then Jacob has this second encounter with God. It says in Genesis 32 that he wrestled It says in the Bible, he wrestled with an angel all night long. The angels capitalized, and some theologians would say that it was most likely God himself, and I tend to agree with that just because of the nature of what happens in this wrestle. This is not your ordinary uh, get caught up in the sheets and wrestling in your bed, right? This is a wrestle with God. It says that Jacob wrestled with God all night long, and Jacob says to God, I am not going to let you go until you bless me. And God blessed him. You know how God blessed him? He changed his name. He gave him a new name. He gave him the name Israel, which means fighter of God, or one reformed by God, Israel. And God even left him with a reminder. (laughs) He put a joint out in his hip, And Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his days. Anybody else have a limp from having wrestled with God? Come on, be truthful. I want to see hands. I'm raising my hand. I have wrestled with God. Come on. I want to tell you something. God has no problem with your wrestle. He likes the fight inside of you. He likes that you would want to wrestle for what he has for you. And when I think about this thing that happened with Jacob, he wasn't the only one. This is amazing. I think sometimes we can read the Bible and not connect that this is a thing with God. He calls us by a name. He has the ability to rename us, to reform us. And if we look in the book of Matthew, we meet another man who had an encounter with God. His name was Simon. Simon means he has heard. And God changes his name to Peter. We all know the story of Peter, Peter meaning rock, that God wanted to build his church on Peter. So he couldn't be this one that was just hearing about God, right? Oh, I heard about him. I heard about him. Job talks about that. I heard about this God, but then I saw him with my own eyes. And so Peter begins to see God with his own eyes, and he becomes a strength and establishment for God to be able to build his church. There's another person in Acts chapter 9 that we meet. His name is Saul. And Saul means to ask or question, and God changes his name to Paul, which means small and humble, 
And if you know the story of Saul, he asked and he questioned and he studied and wanted to know all the letter of the law and make everybody else live under the letter of the law. Anybody feeling convicted right now that maybe that's the way you operate? But it brought no effect. And we know that it brings no fruit when we operate that way. But God changes his name to Paul, small and humble. And all of a sudden, Paul begins to have this great influence. And people start coming to know Jesus. And he raises up some of the most significant leaders of that day, disciples and apostles that spread the kingdom of God throughout that region. And God, in his kindness, left Paul with a reminder too. (laughs) We read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's reminder was a thorn in his flesh. He says, and so I was given a thorn in my flesh to buffet me. Actually calls it a messenger of Satan. And he says it was given to him so that he would not exalt himself above measure. He wanted Paul to remember where he had come from, right? Any of you, little, a little thorn, little pain in your side maybe, pain in your neck, pain other places in your body, to remind you of who you are and who you are not. Remember these names, these things that form who we think that we are. And God loves it when we wrestle for the reality of who he's called us to be. And by the way, guys, it's always good news. God always has good news to give you. He has good plans and good purposes and destiny for each one of you. And as I was studying these people in the Bible that went on to do these great things after these encounters with God, I think about our lives as women, our lives as mothers, and the name changes that we go through. I am so in awe of women and mothers. We literally change our last name when we get married. That's not a small thing. That's like an identity thing, you guys. We go from one family to another. And then as we're getting used to that, we, be, we start to have children and we become mothers, like with no college degree in it or whatever that we might need. We're, we're mothers, we're mamas, we're mom. And that name, that name mother, it comes from old Indo-European roots, motor or mater. It's where the term alma mater comes from. And it means nourishing one. How beautiful is that? Mother, nourishing one. And with that name, mother, it brings a lot of joy in our lives, a lot of complexities, a lot of sorrow for some. I recognize that this holiday, Mother's Day, is not always the hallmark picture that we see in marketing for every mother. I know that there are probably mothers in this room that don't have a good relationship with their own mom. Guess what? We never get too old that we don't need our mom, right? I know that there's mothers in this room that have babies in heaven that they were never able to hold. I know there's mothers in this room that have lost children when they were very small. And there's mothers in this room that have lost adult kids. They're not supposed to go before us, right? And I just wanted to hold space for that today that we can still celebrate Mother's Day and we can sit and share in the sorrow that some mothers endure, right? And so I want to do that just for a second. Just sit in that with them for a minute. I know, too, that there's probably mothers in this room that don't have healthy relationships with their adult children. 
And that can be so painful and so difficult. We don't live in this culture anymore that emphasizes family connection. We just don't, especially if you think or you believe differently. And that can be very painful and very difficult. And we acknowledge that today. But I want to tell you something. I'm believing that God is doing something. I prayed for a lot of mamas this morning in that area. And we are believing. We serve a big God, a name above every name, Jesus, who is the restorer, who is the reconciler. And mamas, I think maybe it's time to get your fight back on. And dads, too, for those children that you're not in healthy relationship with. God is in the business of doing miracles. And I believe he is going to homecoming. He is going to do something. I also wanted to speak this scripture over you this morning. It's, it's a prophetic message. Sometimes we read the Bible and we're like, man, I wish that was for me. I wish that scripture was for me. And it is. God wrote this with each of you in mind. And most of it is prophetic. This, for sure, it's in Isaiah 62. It's a prophetic passage that I want to speak over you this morning of the way that God sees you. Isaiah 62, and starting in verse 2, it says, And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. And you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her. And your land married, for the Lord delights in you. I'm going to say that again. The Lord delights in you. (laughs) He delights in you. He loves you. He loves the entirety of who you are. Do you not think he knows your story? And he loves the whole part of who you are. I think it's interesting Further on in Genesis, after Jacob is renamed, he's alternately called Jacob and Israel again. And theologians and scholars have kind of studied out like they can't come to a conclusion, but some say it's because Jacob still had a tendency, even with his limp, to walk in his earth-like nature alternately and then his God-like nature. Sound like anybody else you know? Sometimes I walk in my God-like nature, right, honey? And sometimes I walk in my earth-like nature. But God loved the entirety of who Jacob was. And he loves the entirety of who you are. And I just think God's just busting some stuff off. Some lives that you believed, that you kind of felt like you've had to hide yourself from God, that maybe he doesn't receive those hidden parts of you. He knows it all. He knows, he knows your earth-like nature. He knows your God-like nature. And he loves the entirety of who you are. And he knows the stakes of the enemy lying to you so that you don't fulfill your God-given destiny. And I just see him just breaking off lies. I just see heaviness coming off of you even right now today. I'm going to ask you to stand. There's a term that we say as Christians, in Jesus' name. It's been very important to me since I've known God. I say it after my prayers because I'm like, I don't want these prayers to be for me. And I want the power of Jesus to be them. So I make sure I say, in Jesus' name, at the end of every prayer. But it goes much deeper than sealing a prayer. 
in Jesus' name means you are found in him. You have the name of Jesus. His name covers you. If you're an orphan, if you've been rejected by your own family, his name covers you. You are in Jesus' name. Colossians 3 says this, our real lives are hidden in Christ with God. He hides you in his name. He protects you in his name. We don't know the full implications of being found in Jesus' name, but I know I'll never pray that way again to just be a covering or a seal of a prayer, and I hope you don't either. And I couldn't help think this morning when I was thinking about in Jesus' name and the name above every name, and, and we're so blessed because most of, it, most of you know what I'm talking about this morning. You're saying amen like I know, and thank you for the reminder. But I'm very aware that there are probably people in this room that don't have a clue what I'm talking about, or they're cynical about what I'm talking about when I'm, when I'm talking about how alive God is. And I wanted to make an opportunity for those who have never made that confession of Jesus to be able to do that today. And so I'm just going to ask everyone, if you close your eyes, if you just honor the person next to you, and if you would, I, I, I've been saved 33 years, and I still love to pray this prayer. I love it. I think it's so precious. It's so powerful. And if you would, repeat after me, Jesus, thank you for being Lord and Savior of my life. I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit and the new life I have in you. We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. To be found in Jesus. I'm wondering if you did say that for the first time, I would really love to connect with you. I would love actually to celebrate with you. It's one of the best decisions you'll make in your life. And if you would, if you'd put your hand up, if, just to let me know, just so I can look eye to eye with you. If you've made that decision for the first time today, I knew there were some people in here. I just couldn't help it as I was praying. Some people are pointing. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Other hands. Just want to give a moment here because it's such a sacred thing. Everybody has a day, right? Their day of salvation. And I just felt like that was for several people that are here today. You came here for one reason, but God had other plans for you. If you just raise your hand, there's ushers that are coming. They want to put something in your hands. I saw one, maybe two. Thank you, God. So beautiful. Church, can we celebrate? There is nothing like being found in him and being found in his family. The benefits, it just goes on and on and on. Being found in Jesus, having the family of God. And I just thought we could just take just a few more minutes because I felt like there were some people that have walked away from the Lord today. We sang a song, Homecoming, Prodigals, however you might say it. You once knew Jesus and you haven't been walking with him. And I wanted to just give you an opportunity to rededicate your life today. Just real quickly, I'm going to share this encounter I had a couple weeks ago. I just thought I was going on vacation to go hang out with my high school friends. We do it once a year. 
and I walked out on the streets of San Diego and a little girl approached me, had a hood over her face, and she kind of was slurring her words and asked if she could use my phone. And I held it for her, had it on speaker, and she called the number and nobody answered. And I could just see the desperation in her, like, this is, something's not right here. I said, do you have another number you can call? She called another number, no answer. Okay, well, do you have another, and she's doing everything by heart. The girl doesn't have anything on her, no phone, no ID, nothing. And she dials another number on speaker, and somebody answers, hello? And the little girl says, Grandma, this is Savannah. And the grandma goes off. Savannah, Savannah, we've been so worried about you. Where are you, Savannah? Savannah, come home. And Savannah starts to break. And, and, and the grandma is having to convince her that she shouldn't be where she is, that she needs to come home. And then just in the dialogue, as I'm talking with grandma on the phone too, come to find out she's not from San Diego. She's from Arizona. And she had gotten on a bus a few weeks ago and Savannah kept saying, but I've done too much, Grandma. I can't come home. Like, Savannah, come home. I've been praying for you. My church has been praying for you. Savannah, we love you. Come home. And I can't help thinking that that's somebody in this room today, that you are the Savannah that needs to come home. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? If that's you, if you need to come home, you need to come home to Jesus. I just want to take this moment. I think it's worth it. Yeah, I see a hand. I see a hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You know what's so beautiful about that story is that we called her a cab. There was, there was a guy kind of standing behind me. I could tell she was being trafficked. Shoved her in a, a taxi cab, told Grandma, buy a bus ticket. We're, we're sending her in a taxi to the bus station in San Diego. And then I got on the, the phone and called a Dream Center in Phoenix. Hey, there's a girl that's going to be there. This is her time of her bus. Could you pick her up? And everybody had to do their part, just like this morning, like those of you that are pointing to the person that's rededicating their life. We all have a part to play in this, right? Paul does seating, Apollos waters. God brings the increase. Savannah gets on the bus. She gets there. Everybody did their part. Dream Center picked it her up, and she's in treatment right now. She's got to go home. She found her way back. 